Hello, welcome to the Read This, Watch That podcast. I am Anthony. I am Dale. And I'm Chris. Chris, <laughs> making his triumphant return. Uh, hello, fellas. How are we doing? <laughs> we got that contract all, all straightened out. It took a while. I just want to throw it out there that I timed that joining perfectly. I just and and it was totally accidental, but it happened, and I'm gonna take credit for it. So yeah, it was it was terrible. Chris, I don't think you've been on since we did the dead zone. Oh, I've been to mistaken. distant lands, Anthony. I've been to distant lands. I've seen things. I've done things. Yes, it's nice to be back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Has it so been that there. long? I pulled up. Uh, I pulled up the dead zone last night, and that was uh 20, 2022. Do I have that? Do I have that right? Oh, like November 2022? Wow, so it's been a year. An actual year. Wow. Yeah, that's oh. what that that's what I thought. I just looked at it briefly. Is the trouble uh sorted? Sorry. The trouble? Yeah, I'm sorry. Anthony said we were having trouble. Are we uh are we good? Oh, he may be having trouble. Oh, okay. Oh, all right. Well, that's actually fitting. That means we can just talk. About it. He's going to think we did it to him. He's going <laughs> to. So, so the seeds of paranoia have been planted, and he's just going to think that we launched him off. Oh, see, okay. I got a text message from me. He said we got disconnected. I'm just going to. Oh, did we? No, no, no. We'll just we'll just do the podcast. So somehow we got disconnected. Hello, back on. Yeah. Hey. Yeah, oh, okay. sorry. I, I don't know whose fault that was. I'll take the blame. Yeah, me neither. Me neither. <laughs> Chris and I actually I shall... secretly tried to do that so we could just have this conversation by ourselves. I'm telling you. Keep saying it. In five or six months, you two will be turning away advertisers <laughs> for your Rush podcast. <laughs> And I'll oh, be, that's great! I'll be that's stuck great. Like, doing uh, O.J. Simpson's entire <laughs> film catalog <laughs> on my own in my basement. <laughs> Angry and drunk. High I, art. That's what I, that is. I, I, I celebrate his entire canon. <laughs> awesome. All right, so um, we uh, did a rush podcast. A few weeks ago, uh, I had a good time and thought we'd do a second one. Now, so, uh, Dale, you chose the songs. Chris, I've known you for more than 40 years, and I had no idea. I mean, I knew you were a Rush fan. Yeah. I I did not know you read books about Rush, and I I didn't realize the... The depth of your your fandom. So, I mean, Dale Dale talked about how he discovered Rush on a on a school ski trip. Uh, when did uh, the Canadian trio first enter your life? Yeah. So, um, the my my first my first Rush memory is um we had a we had a, a summer camp that we like moved out to after school ended and then came back after. Uh, um, you know, when, when Labor Day came around anyway, uh, I remember being, and we had, you know, like summer camp friends that lived down the road. And I remember being on the, on the, uh, the back deck of the house and we were just kind of hanging around and I was probably, I don't know, 
uh, 10, 11, maybe. And as a lot of, you know, musical influence come, you know, people's way, it was, it was very, uh, my friend's older brother was playing 2112. And I remember hearing the intro, the, uh, the, the intro to that, um, and, you know, Temples of Syrinx, uh, 2112 Overture, Temples of Syrinx. And it's, it kind of stuck with me. And, and I was, you know, really like, wow, who's, who's this? And it was, it was great. It was, it was just, it was just fantastic. But, uh, and I liked it. And, and it's not like I went out and got it. I really, that's my first memory of Rush. And that's my first mem- time I remember hearing them and just being taken by them. It wasn't until a couple of years later, uh, when I was probably in eighth grade, when uh, a friend of mine had moving pictures, I did not have it, and I borrowed it. And uh, did he I get was, it back? Uh, reluctantly, I returned it to him, <laughs> but I played it and played it and played it, and that's when Rush got their hooks into me, and that's when I became a fan. And it just kind of uh, snowballed after that with all their, with all their. Uh, their, 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 all the work that followed. Did you buy? So, yeah. Did you buy up their albums after that when you could? I or did. I, I, I did. You, yeah, I've gotten. I've had them on. Yeah, vinyl, uh, cassettes, um, yeah, CDs, and and now you know the digital digital format, Apple Music, etc. And and yeah, I I, I had um, in in various forms. I've had probably everything that they've everything that they've put out, including our, like a couple of years ago, I got a box set of all their stuff from the Mercury years. Dale, I don't know if you oh, wow. if you have that, but yeah, that was uh, yeah. So um, yeah, I remember I remember hearing uh, Limelight when I had his, uh, his his copy of Moving Pictures, and I was just blown away by that song and still am and i and i can't listen to it enough i I was listening to it uh today as a matter of fact because and and last night just because in preparation for this but just because i love it it's it's one of my favorite songs it's my absolute favorite guitar solo ever of uh um you know alex lifeson and i believe if i'm not mistaken it's his favorite guitar solo as well that he that he loves to play so anyway yeah uh super fan i guess i i it obviously i don't advertise it uh a a lot if you didn't know because if you didn't know then i would imagine there's an awful lot of other people that didn't know but yeah as i've said to you already and as i said to dale when i saw your your podcast drop i and, well, Anthony, I think I said to you, I'm like, oh, it, are they doing? Are they doing like that race car movie? Is, is that what they're doing? <laughs> I'm like, oh, 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 they're doing, they're doing Rush, <laughs> and I just immediately started listening to it. And I've said to you, Anthony, and I'm almost positive I said to you, Dale, I was kind of finishing your sentence as you're, as you're uh, going along and and talking about all things Rush, and yeah, loved it, loved it, and immediately you know, reached out yeah, to both of you. It was so, so yeah. strange. You weren't the it, only one too, because between within like uh, 24 hours of dropping that podcast, we got about eight new Spotify f- followers. I don't know if there's a connection. I don't know if it's coincidence, but you know, who knows? You know, Anthony, well, I'm glad you did it. Yeah, no, I, I am too. And I, and I have to say, Anthony, you said you, you've known Chris for 40 years. Is that right? No longer. Longer. Okay. I, I believe 41. 41. 
Wow. And Anthony, you and I have known each other 25 yeah. years, something yes. like that. Yes. So it's, it's clear that as between the two of you, I have lost 25 years of commiseration <laughs> with a fellow Rush fan. I'm just, oh, hoping, we... I'm just hoping to have two people at my funeral. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's about awesome. all. Um, so, Dale, you chose the songs. Yeah. Uh, you chose Subdivisions, Middletown, Dreams, and Kid Gloves. Yes. Was not... there a method behind your 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 madness in, in, in choosing us? There there was, yeah. Just like there was a meth- method in uh, choosing the, the other three songs, I tried to find three songs that had at least some sort of a, a thematic or, or a lyrical thread, call it, running through them. And I also, as I was kind of thinking about that and kind of looking at songs and trying to figure it out, I, I also realized that we had the opportunity to choose three songs off of three consecutive albums during a period of actually really dramatic change in, um, in, in, in style that they were, they were going through, through this period, beginning with signals, which is where hemispheres is on to um, grace under pressure, which is what gloves is from. And then, um, Power Windows, which is where Middletown Dreams was. So I thought it was actually um, kind of a nice, nice thing to go through. This is somewhat of a controversial period for you know Rush fans. A lot of people became fans of the um, the earlier you know true prog rock uh, style that uh, you know Twenty One Twelve, Farewell to Kings, Hemispheres really exemplify. And as the band started to shift and um, uh, both adopt a shorter song writing style, but also introduce synthesizers into their music a whole lot more. I actually began to lose some of those traditional fans just as they picked up new fans. And it's kind of a, a controversial period because of that. I know Getty Lee, real, f- at least for a long time, and I don't know whether his, his, his tune has changed, no pun intended, but he really thinks that Power Windows what Middletown Dreams is on, is uh, kind of the best of the albums they did really going full in synth. Um, uh, I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that, but controversial period, really good, I think, example of how their sound changed over time in this period, but all have a, a kind of a somewhat of a lyrical thread to it. And um, I think good examples of how they're writing matches up with the lyrics quite well as well. Chris, where did, so this is 82 to 85, if I'm not mistaken, if my research is correct. Mm-hmm. And where does this period stand for you in your, in your fandom? Yeah. Signals is one of my favorite rush albums. Uh, I, I really, really enjoyed that. Subdivisions is, uh, is, is a great song. Um, and, and I, I enjoy, I enjoy it. Um, but there's others on signals that I actually I actually like more. Um, Analog Kid, Digital Man. Um, so really love those. And 
again, what I'm really trying to avoid here is going down a rabbit hole on any one album or topic or, or, uh, or, or song. Cause you could just, there's so much and you can go so deep and I'm, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to avoid doing that. You're trying to rein uh, it in. I, I really, really am trying to be disciplined as, as I can, but yeah, signals is, uh, signals is, is certainly a favorite for me. Rush or excuse me, subdivisions is one of those favorites on there. Subdivisions will hold a, always hold a, a, a specific lovely place in my heart because um, I'm an audiophile. I love all kinds of music. What, what I never really was, was a, uh, like a, like a concert person. And I, I, I haven't really attended a lot of concerts, love music, love listening to music and all kinds of music and Rush in particular, obviously, but I was never a big concert goer. Whereas a lot of Rush fans are, um, I, I however, was fortunate enough, very fortunate enough to see Rush once at uh, at a local venue, um, and it was on the Clockwork Angels tour. And thank goodness because uh, they there weren't that many shows that they did following that uh, when I saw them. But um, they opened with Subdivisions, and that just iconic keyboard intro is it was uh, every time I hear it, I remember like like the concert starting and me looking up and like, Oh my God, there they are. <laughs> and, <laughs> did it, did it and, bring that, did it bring that in the house when they, when it, when it opened? Oh, oh yeah, it was, it was crazy. And it was just like, you know, it just started this, uh, you know, all these, you know, middle-aged guys start <laughs> air drum, air, start air drumming and I'm right with them. And it was, it was uh, awesome. It was so, it was so much fun. But that song, that intro, that, I mean, I always liked it, you know, always will. It'll always be, you know, super iconic rush. But that, that particular song, that intro will always immediately, every time I hear it on the, you know, on the radio, when it starts in, that is what I think of. So, so uh, as long yeah. as you mention subdivisions, why don't we, so this doesn't go three hours, why don't we jump into the first song? Subdivisions was uh, uh, on the album Signals, 1982. It uh, reached, the album itself reached number one in Canada, reached uh, number three in, in the UK, and actually reached number 10 in the US and went platinum. Uh, why don't we start, since you chose it, Dale, um, what are your um, kind of thoughts? Why did you choose it? Um, thumbs up, thumbs down. What's your What's your take? Because I, I I would I'll go last, but I have a lot more to say about this song than I think I do the other two. Um, I finally revisited it. I mean, you would hear it on the radio every now and then, but um, yeah, I have a lot to say about subdivisions. But I would yeah. like to have you two go first. Yeah, I'll tell you why I I chose it and give you just a really really light gloss on kind of how I, how I feel about it. Uh, so number one, it is an iconic Rush song. I think it's probably, if people know more than, you know, two or three Rush songs, this is generally one of them they know. Um, and uh, it has had a very significant impact on, I think, a lot of fans lyrically. It's one of those songs that I think when you talk to you know, people who 
really feel some deep connection to what um, the band has done over the years. This is one of the songs that people point to because it points to um, uh, that angst or the challenge, call it, of um, being somewhat of an outsider. In fact, the video that was produced uh, when the song was made focuses on that aspect of that song, of that kind of feeling uh, isolated in a world, particularly when you're an adolescent, that's driving toward conformity and how difficult that can, that can be. And I think for a lot of people, and myself included, um, this song really resonated uh, with, a, with a lot of people. So it's, it's a much loved uh, Rush song. But, uh, so that's one reason why I chose it. The other reason I chose it is that I think it's a, even though it's not one of my favorite songs musically, so this is one of the songs, uh, I have this criticism of this period of Rush where you've got arguably the greatest kind of, you know, trio guitarist ever. <laughs> and you're kind of putting them in the background a little bit, which I, I, I really don't like when they do that. Um, but nonetheless, the music, I think, really matches up very well with the lyrics. But the other reason I picked it is that lyrically, there is just so much going on uh, in this song. There is so much to talk about in terms of kind of worldview of what it is to be a person at any age, what it is to progress through life, uh, the struggles that, that you may have and a broader kind of commentary about how we organize ourselves societally and whether it is good for any, any group of us. Um, and I think it, there's this you know, very clear and obvious um, metaphor between the geographic subdivisions of the suburbs and the kind of ordered society we have. I think you can listen to it and read the lyrics and, and take that geographic conformity as pure metaphor for societal conformity and really apply these lyrics kind of across a much broader spectrum, not just people in the suburbs, but people everywhere. So I think it's a really, really uh, interesting song and a great example of how, just how good a lyricist uh, Neil Peart could be. So Chris, uh, same, same, since you've mentioned this song, why don't you give me, um, and then Dale, if you want to go back, if there's a particular parts, we can talk about it, but I want to get Chris's kind of opening, opening thoughts since he specifically um, signaled, um, no pun intended, subdivisions out when he was talking about Rush. So um, what say you, Pat Buchanan? Yeah, um, <laughs> just the, you know, the themes of alienation and conformity and, you know, and, and I think Dale had touched on this prior with um, when, you know, how old we were when this came out. I mean, this came out in, you know, 82. So we were what, you know, 14 and, we were in Mr. You, Buckley's math it, class. And you, you hear, no, <laughs> no, that wasn't until Eldridge. That was, that was, there you go. There you go. That, that would be the fella. Anyway, that's, that's a whole nother conversation. However, but yeah, the, um, the, the themes of alienation and conformity and the song. And yeah, when you're 14, I, I think every, every teenager, every adolescent feels 
regardless of of where you are objectively as far as like popularity or who you know you have a big group of friends i think everybody is at that age and adolescent is self-conscious and 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 you know the i was a bit on the you know the 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 nerdy side and and i just identified with with the lyrics and also you have to remember is i have a hard time separating the song from the mtv video <laughs> which is which was used <laughs> at at the time you know a lot of a lot of rush songs through the 80s they were you know they they rode the mtv wave and good for them you know i'm smart it's very very smart marketing ploy but a lot of that 80s rush is uh a, a decent amount of it especially their more popular stuff is is uh is the, the i i can't sometimes separate the song from the video but anyway in the in the video they they hit on those themes of uh alienation and conformity and you know be cool or be cast out etc so yeah the lyrics uh the lyrics resonated with me as as did as did a lot of songs uh, by them but yeah this specifically did so I'd like to, can I, Anthony, before we go on, can I just add one, one bit of nuance? Sure. So one of the things I really like about the song lyrically is, is how it ends. Um, because it, it, you, you, can, you can listen to kind of most of the song and pay attention to the lyrics and say, ah, yeah, so the you know, horrible suburbs and horrible conformity and it's, and it's terrible. But then the last bits of the, of the lyrics are now, right, talking about, okay, well, you can go and you can get out into the world and then kind of do what we all do, which is conform, right, in some way, or most of us do. And, you know, there's the great, uh, you know, losing yourself in that world and start to get, this is reading into the lyrics a bit, but, you know, start to get beat down a bit by that conformity and that lack of freedom um, or even just peace of mind. And lyrically, it takes you back, right, to the, to the suburbs and the placidness that can be there and how that can be an attractive thing, right, as you're older and out into the world so that as an adolescent, it's limiting. It's not something you want to deal with. But as you get older, there's a real value to it and something that um, it's something that again, is drawn out to the song, which I, I find really interesting that if you follow it all the way through, you really listen to it, you get to that part of it. And it's not just this simple message about how conformity is terrible. It's about perspective and how at one point in your life, something can be terrible and miserable, but at another, it may have a real value and be attractive for a good reason. Is the line you're thinking of somewhere out of a memory of lighted streets on a quiet night? quiet nights yes yes i kind of that kind of stuck with me as well i finally got back i listened to the song about six times but always on youtube with the mtv video um i was fascinated by that video and i think first of all it's an extremely accessible rush song it's it's up front there's um you know there's imagery and things like that but the 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 kind of the the message of what they're talking about is not hidden deep within you know within the the lyrics there's a there's a lot going on and i found you know i was just so kind of 
impressed isn't the right word. I thought they summed up these three kind of uh, uh, these three kind of stages of conformity or three different versions of conformity. Of course, you got the the pressure of teens probably beginning in sixth or seventh grade to conform. Also, via the video, you get the real sense of those huge housing subdivisions that are just... I mean, I think we don't really see them up here. I, I believe... You kind of in the 80s, 90s and 2000s, you would see them particularly in the states that were growing like Nevada, Arizona and places like that. And it's just house after house after house, uh, same color. If the design changed, it was slight, almost so slight you didn't have to know it. And they're all in these like poacher stamp size. And you know what? Middle class, upper middle class, and that might be someone's dream. They might have gotten out of, uh, uh, you know, out of a bad situation. And that is, you know, kind of that is, you know, their American dream, Canadian dream. But the monotony of the geography is very stifling uh, to me. Again, without making this is all very subjective. I'm not making any kind of objective judgment. Mm -hmm. Um, of course, you know, again, the conformity. And then they squeeze in um, that line about, I kind of didn't really remember this, um, get caught in ticking traps, and then they focus on the clock. And you remember that also, you know, adults are Risk in rats. conformity with the generalized, especially back in the 80s, you know, you're punching in at nine, you're punching out at five, and I think this song really spoke to me on a couple of levels was that um, I don't know, Chris, you and I were fairly popular or we had friends. We could not, we were not outsiders. Okay. On, on a good day. Right. We were just, we had friends. We went to parties. We were not outsiders. So I, it was hard to, to um, kind of identify with that directly as opposed to what you were saying where it's like every teen feels a little awkward feels a little weird um feels a little outsider but you know i'm watching the video and i i'm thinking to myself is that kid gonna turn into dylan klebold yeah. um and that was <laughs> I, and i'm not even joking that was the, with the t yeah. black t-shirt and everything like that um yeah but it turned into me my friends <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hey, listen, yeah. that's what I'm saying. I'm not gonna pretend I felt alienated in high school. I had a I had a great time. I had a lot of friends. So so I'm watching this, but thinking back, I'm like, uh, oh, was I a dick to an outsider? Was I a dick to one of those kids? I hope not. I probably was at one point in time. But looking back, oh, I just bet on it. Uh <laughs> Uh, go fuck yourself. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I thought I think this song is is very straightforward in a lot of ways, but also yeah. genius. And I'm surprised it did not. Maybe it did because again, I was not the huge Rush fan that some people are. This could have turned into some type of uh, anti-establishment anthem for a lot of people. 
It did for me. I, I'll I'll tell you, me and my friends. And yes, I did have friends. It's just that we were we were all um, a little bit can't see yeah. can't see the air quotes. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I mean that's how I kind of I kind of viewed as a friend of mine said at the time is that um, that Rush was a protest band for our generation, and I thought that was a re- and for thinking people, and I think that that's a really interesting perspective, um, uh, and I think that for you know the people who, for some people, right, that's kind of how they how they took it. And it te- and again yeah, it, very and it, and it was very personal, right? It was somebody writing and kind of speaking very directly to your experiences in in a way that uh, had a lot of sympathy and empathy to it. Yeah, and I mean, part part the one that struck me the most was like my worst nightmare is to live in one of those, and I don't care the economic uh, status, those um, newer subdivisions. Um, 7,500 square foot homes on a quarter acre lot, a, um, the, the, uh, landscaping. I mean, Chris, you live in a very diverse, great neighborhood. Some of the houses look like they're from the thirties, some from the forties, some from the seventies. You have an oak tree that looks like it's about 900 years old. Everything's filled in. It's got history. It's got character. But man, when when that when that video opens and I'm looking at at these these um, housing subdivisions, regardless of the again the economic class, that for me that would be crushing that that visual monotony. Yeah, and, for sure. And I think they capture that really well, really well in the in, in the video. The videos, the videos. It's such a it's not very kind of, subtle is it no <laughs> it's, 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 it's a very it's a very well, literal interpretation yeah. of yeah. what they're what he's he's talking about lyrically and it's yeah it's like a it's subtle like a brick to your head with all the the literal interpretation and the imagery that he has there but so yeah, is there it's, any, it's, anything you guys want to talk about in terms of the lyrics itself that stand out to you that you want to emphasize Please that line that you had mentioned earlier, just to rewind a little bit, that's one of my favorite Neil Peart lines of, of Rush. Somewhere out of a memory of lighted streets on quiet nights. It just evokes this, this serene picture of, of, you know, what I often do is I walk my neighborhood and, and there are so many times I've walked it, you know, walking the dog on a quiet night. And that line just comes to me and, and it's, and, it, and it's been that way. It's been away for, for God, decades. And it's, a, and, and it's I, a positive. It is a positive. And, and, yeah. and, he, and he, he has a lot of songs, one of which we'll talk about in a little while, that I, I think a lot of people think are negative, but are, are not negative and are, and are not positive. It's just a realistic spin on, on, uh, on, on, how, he, on how he interprets things. And, and, and I, I think a lot of them, end on a positive note and, and i don't think this is uh, any exception yeah and i would say i would point to the the stanza right before those last two lines which i think is both something that i've tried to fight against and have have been dancing with my entire life which is the some will sell their dreams for small desires or lose their race to rats get caught in ticking traps 
and start to dream of somewhere to relax their restless flight. Agreed. It's something I've, uh, I've always focused on as no matter how much I conform, right, and do my job, I have always tried to do, do things my way, have my career be my career, not what somebody else tells me it should be. And uh, I attribute this song really to kind of sticking in my head this notion that I should if I can, and really testing the bounds of whether I can really define for myself what it is I want my life to look like. I've been somewhat successful. I've also had some failures, but it's been a driving force for me that no matter you know what I do to stay alive, keep my family alive, right? Um, right. You know, right. All those things that I wanted, I wanted, you know, Frank Sinatra song, I'm going to do it my way. And, um, and I, and this was, that was one of the stands that has always stuck with me. Um, I agree. I mean, I finally maneuvered myself into a position where I have, I don't believe I could have more employment freedom in terms of working from home, taking some time off, doing this, doing that. But it took a long time to get there, you know? And I think back if I took the, if I didn't, jump ship and started to do what I do now I think back and I I just wonder if if I mean part of me would want to sell my house get a hut on the beach in the Bahamas and and paint seashells you know uh, turquoise and sell them to tourists because that billable hours and that whole is is now I look back on it it seems like a slow death to me um (laughs) and so um is uh, any other part of the lyrics you want to discuss? Because I got a question. You know, this is so, this is always interest, interested in me. So high school, not politically, but societally, is this ultra conservative place where there is this huge pressure to conform and not stand out too much. Why? So why is that? Are you asking a broader kind of how we've organized our society? Why have schools ended up the way that they are? Oh, Jesus Christ. No, Dale. Stop. (laughs) (laughs) What do you, I I don't understand your question. Why does the pressure to conform seem to begin, uh, whatever you want to call it, seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, and not stand out too much? Why is high school, and it may be different now, I don't know, but why was high school, at least when we were there, there is that kind of like um, conformity and that pressure to conform and not be too, just not be too different. What, what, what is that all about? I think it's about, I think it's about, uh, I think it's about uh, our, it's the it's the combination of leaving home and um, going out into the world and competing, and perceptions of what's going to be, you know, sellable. And of course, the more people that are interested in you, if you do X, means that that's more sellable. And if you see somebody doing X, and more people are interested in them, that that's ah, competitively, I've got to start doing that thing. 
a pecking order. Yeah, I think I think that it is, and interestingly enough, it is. I think one of the core one of the core areas of focus of of Kid Gloves, the next song, which we can begin talking about, or we can um, up to you. What order you want? Chris, to any any thoughts on that that whole wh- why we do that? Jeez, uh, I I think. Some of it may have to do with you have a bunch of young people in adolescence with, you know, that are that are literally changing every day, raging hormones all in a confined space, all trying to figure out who they are and and who they want to be. And and, you know, I mean, you got you got freshmen, sophomores, juniors and seniors. Right. So, you know, they are each level is looking at the level above and, you know, trying to figure out who they want to emulate and probably taking cues from, you know, all right, well, that, that, that these people seem popular. These people seem cool. Maybe I, maybe I want to do that. Or if there's kids with an independent streak that aren't driven by that, maybe they're, they're, uh, they're, they're not so motivated to be that way, but that's where, that, that's where I would go. I have, I have a theory. Okay. Oh boy. Face that. <laughs> Based on nothing. <laughs> it's not even a theory. It's not based on any type of observable. You must uh, be used to this, Chris. I mean, I've gotten uh, used to it doing this podcast, but yeah. See <laughs> my previous I response. I, I have a theory that it's a some vestigial kind of thing left over from our caveman days where the men were sharpen your spear. We're going to go kill a woolly mammoth. And the women would... Uh, try to protect the young to perpetuate the tribe. And Can I just a, interrupt for a minute? A, You're going to land this plane. This this theory is going to eventually land in high school, right? Yes. Uh, okay. Yes. All right. Just... So there would be a kid who would be like, <laughs> I don't want to hunt mammoths. I want to do cave art. I don't want to go out and hunt mammoths. Like, we got to eat. before." So, you know, they would fall into these roles where where conformity equals kind of survival. And in high school, it might eat, might meet, uh, equal psychological survival. But there was always those people, and they weren't rare, but they were uncommon, who could be idiosyncratic, could be kind of um, a bit flaky, you could say, but were so self-possessed and had such good self-esteem that they could get away with it. But others had a channel into kind of more your kind of your uh, if your abilities to stand out, you channel it into more socially acceptable means yeah. like sports, music, yeah, and things like that. That's just my theory. I, I think it Wouldn't... might be some vestigial thing, and I don't yeah. even know what high schools are like now. Maybe they do value kind of independence and idiosyncratic personalities now would you think a person like that in high school um and i'm just drawing from my experience which was you know pretty much mirrored your experience a person like that i think would be a unicorn because i was certainly not like that in high school i know that maybe you know you 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 put on an outward persona of confidence but um i was not a i was kind of a like i said nerdy confident kid that you know struggled with self-esteem and and you know and and i think uh, i was probably an accurate cross-section of my peers that were there with the exception of 
you probably you <laughs> but you always seem pretty you know secure and 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 who you are and pretty uh you know grounded but i i, I don't know i just think like your average has, you know self-esteem insecurity issues you know within a normal range that that's that's just my point and, and like somebody like you're you're describing is to me i i, I think kind of unicornish but that's my thing all right, I don't want to build. I mean, we're we're um, already well into the podcast, and we have other songs. But man, great song, and I think I'll save the reviews for later. Can I just ask yeah. a question of Dale, and specifically since we're starting in this era, Signals, which is when they started to branch out more keyboard-heavy uh, electronic music, incorporating into into their. Uh, in, into their catalog. Um, Dale, did there ever come a time, Nat, like in this era, like 82 and, and moving on, and, and or any other uh, era beyond that, or when they, when they kind of changed their music? Did you ever drift from them? I did, actually. Um, yeah. I, but it, not, I think, where a lot of people did. So I, I, I was... Um, I was okay with kind of the direction they were going. It wasn't my favorite sort of a thing. I was much more of a heavy rocker kind of a guy, but I really, right. I really like. I mean, you know, songs like Signals and and you know, I'm Standing Still on Hold Your Fire, for example, and, and Turn the sure. Page on Hold Your Fire, right? right. Which are very, you know, Hold Your Fire, I think, is is kind of their most extreme going down this path, and I think in some ways their best. I think that is a highly underrated album from so many perspectives it's such a beautiful beautiful album and then chris you and i have communicated about this also lyrically oh yeah one of the strongest i think that they have but for me interestingly enough when the next two albums where they were reputed to kind of start going back to the hard rock sound and you know starting to lose the synths uh, when it first came out when these two albums first came out i i was i really got turned off with Presto and, and Roll the Bones because I felt like to a degree they were beginning to sound like just about anybody else. Right. And um, that annoyed me. Now, in subsequent years, I've gone back and I've revisited, you know, those albums um, increasingly. I still think they're their weakest, but um, I don't think that they're as weak as I thought they were when, when they first came out. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just knew fans, uh, of, you know, friends of mine who have been fans that, that did, that did waver. I, I never did. And, and I don't know if that's because of, you know, brand loyalty, uh, hmm. or it's because of, I, I just liked their music. I like to think it was the latter rather than the, the, the former. I don't want to be too much of a conformist, but it's, uh, yeah, I, I I just wanted to know your your take on that because I know other people, even super fans, have been like, eh, nah, doesn't really do it for me. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's interesting, is it? And and again, I think from it, I think I I think once you got, I think those albums were kind of necessary because I <clears> love <throat> the way Counterparts sounds. Yeah, I absolutely <laughs> love the way that album sounds. And yeah, that's I'm, a rocker. Yeah, and I, I think I'm one of the few fans out there who really thinks that Test for Echo is actually a really good album too. I, I know that gets a lot of uh, a lot yeah. of people rank it pretty low, but I, I think that it's interesting. I it's think like, you are one of the few. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I, 
it, it's kind of to me their most recent stuff is generally better than their older stuff right just mm-hmm. as, a, as a very 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 broad generalization like i think their last album is one of their best um, oh easily for right? sure for and sure. Yep. And uh, and their progression is something that I've always, again, I've always appreciated. So, um, right. yeah, it was just those two, really. It was really Presto and Roll the Bones. Right. They came out at a time when, you know, you know, the early grunge was beginning to kind of come out. And, I, and again, I was much more at a younger age, a heavy rocker kind of a guy. And so um, those those kind of disappointed me. I thought, well, wait a minute. This is kind of people are actually now catching up to them, <laughs> and they're right. going in a different direction. I was kind of like, no, show you know, show everybody how this is done, and they were just you know going in their own way, which is one of the reasons I love them. Right? Is that they kind of said, no, we were doing this, and, of course, yeah, which is great. Sorry for the off ramp, Anthony. I just wanted to get Dale's take on that specifically because it is a it is it is a is a general uh, uh, important topic among Rush fans, and no, I just wanted uh, Dale's specific take. It's fine. Always, always interested in hear Rush fans masturbate. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> Dale is uh, Kid Gloves next. Kid Glo- Gloves is next, certainly chronologically. Yes. All right. Is that, is that what you want to do next? Sure. You want to, yeah, okay. I'll do it. Yeah, Grace, this is on the album Grace Under Pressure, 1984. And my research shows that uh, reached number four in Canada. The album, again, not, not, not the song. Number three in the UK. And again, came in at 10 in the US and uh, went platinum in the US with um, over a million copies sold. Uh, this is, uh, I don't understand this song lyrically at all so i'm gonna let um although i listened to it really did not want to listen to it again and then downloaded all these three songs onto my uh, playlist and went to the gym today and was listening to over and over and over and i came to like the music a lot and kind of like the song a lot but um i i don't particularly find the lyrics very kind of cohesive but i'll let you guys dale why don't you picked it why don't you start give us your thoughts yeah i'm happily i know this is this song is a bit of a challenge i think because lyrically it is a little bit more um uh abstract maybe um a little bit a little bit more difficult to wrap your hands around leaves an awful lot to interpretation and um i've i've you know talked to other rush rush fans about it some of them scratching their heads about it and it took me a long time to kind of really think about the lyrics and put them in a context that I thought made a lot of sense. But I think this song, as I said earlier, is about kind of growing up and about the lessons you learn uh, as you get older and experience different aspects of the world around you. Um, uh, as you're, particularly as you're young, you're out there, you want to go and you want to you know, do a bunch of stuff. You want to engage in the world. Um, but you find these things that you come up against and you've got to figure out how to engage with the larger society and the world around you and kind of the lessons that you learn, learn going through that process. And importantly, that if you're going to learn those lessons, you have to understand that not everything is as simple as it may appear. And you really have to think about it and take a little bit more of a nuanced view of things and not just simply accept the first lesson that you learn. 
but really think um, more and more about it. Uh, I love the music in this uh, uh, on this song. I think it matches very well again with the lyrics, and I just and I just love the the music anyway. I love the mixture of five four and four four throughout and the way that it happens. I love the way that the song builds to the chorus. I think it, it works really well together. But overall, that is, I think for me, the, the message of the song. And of course, the core lesson that they're talking about here is the kind of posturing, particularly, I think that probably young men go through that great line that's, that's turned around that it's cool to be so tough, but then later, as you see what that kind of toughness and meanness actually means out there in the world and how it can turn into very bad things, then of course it becomes tough to be so cool, which is just a, a nice, uh, that is a good, um, a nice those turn. are good lines. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I like those. Chris, um, what's your history with the song, if any, and what's your, what's your thoughts? Um, it's what I would say is one of the, one of the lesser known, rush songs and you would have to be a, a a fan i think to know it i don't remember this song dale correct me if i'm wrong uh, getting any airplay at, no. at, at all or, or or charting it in any way um uh love the music on this song love the music uh full disclosure i really wasn't picking up what he's putting down here um lyrically I'm with you. Um, it, it was it was hard for me to follow. And just to take a step back here, uh, um, Grace Under Pressure. That there's that's a heavy, dark album, in my opinion. That that uh, has some 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 really heavy, dark topics that uh, that are, are are written about. Correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Dale. There's some, I mean, just after image is yep. also on grace under pressure written about the, the death inspired by the death inspired written as an homage regarding the death of a colleague, uh, and, uh, you know, red sector, a, a Holocaust topic, the enemy within, uh, just, just heavy, dark stuff. Great, great musically, but there's just a, there, there, there's just a lot to unpack on the, on, on this album. And uh, yeah, those other ones I'm, I'm, I'm bored with, but yeah, kid gloves again, the music for me is, is really cool. I, I, if I'm great guitar solo, uh, but yeah, lyrically I'm just, I'm just not there. And, and, and that sometimes happens with him. <laughs> we, well, you know, we, I don't know if it happens with him though, because I, my, what I'm looking at the <clears throat> lyrically it says songwriters for this song, Getty Lee, Alex Life said Neil Peart. Um, so the way that they, they worked by this point. Yeah, um, yeah. So this is, and this is, you know, clearly right. Anthony, you are not a Rush fan. So the way right. that they, they work is, is <laughs> Lee and Lifeson would kind of jam together for a bit out on the road when they're in core or, you know, when they have free time. And by this point, I think they were actually doing writing and they would send Neil off to go and think about lyrics and think about themes for whatever it was they were doing. And then they would start matching things up, some of the jam session right. know, bits to lyrics. And then they'd start developing the songs, the songs from there. So it was very much a collaborative 
sort of an arrangement. And then Getty, who had to sing the lyrics, would also work with Neil about the phrasing, certain words, certain phrases, how things work together so that he could, felt like, so he felt like he could sing, right? What, what Neil was trying to express. But I'm also looking at, there, there are, when they go through the albums, there are specific, so, because it's like uh, music by such and such, but lyrics by Peart, Peart, Peart. But then they, they, they signal, single out various songs, but they all work on. And I'm just wondering if, uh, I, I don't know, that, that, that I find these l- lyrics a bit on the weak side for me. But um, that's just. These are some of the best lyrics. It's. It, and this is this is why I love this. This is why I love this song. Is that you like it, nonsensical lyrics? Yeah, I do. You've just you. made Dale clutch his pearls. You've it's just right. made Dale <laughs> yeah. clutch his pearls. Are you gonna faint? Oh, I, I, I have the papers. I do declare. I have to sit oh, down. Right. Yeah, but no, but these are. I I think so some I, of the think, worst clumsy lyrics. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh my god! I'm trying I, to spice I, things I, up. Yeah, I've just clutched my pearl. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but the these they're um, actually not I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm joking no, I, I actually think the next song has some clumsy clumsy uh, lyrics in it but anyways go so ahead. this this it's the reason I, I kind of I, I kind of take you know the, the way I've interpreted this song comes out of some very subtle clues in the lyrics um, uh, but I, I but it's also a really good example of how his 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 writing kind of works together and you see this and i think we talked about this the last time a bit how there is development within the song of an idea from verse to verse right it's and here you you go from kind of these this uh young games kind of frustration learning lessons you know being rude and being rough and the next time that part of it, it's no longer, it's no longer kind of calling each other names, doing this stuff. It's anger. Anger now having bare knuckles, playing the fool, wearing a crown of thorns, reversing the golden, golden rule, right? It's, it's now much more intense, right? So you go from um, being frustrated as a kid, playing games, kind of figuring things out, right? How to conform and be a part of your community. And to a certain degree, there's a, right, there's a toughness that everybody wants to have or some people want to have in order to fit in. Um, And you learn that, right? Regardless of kind of what, you know, your teachers tell you to be nice and all of those things, right? There's always the uh, 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 the people who are popular always push those rules right a little bit in, in into right. the envelope and beyond. And then the next set of lyrics, now you're in the world, a world of indifference, right? Careless of consequences, right? And you're out there in the world doing it. And this is now where that toughness really turns bad. And that's where you learn that it's tough to be so cool. So if you kind of invest in the lyrics and, and I granted, it took me a long time to really kind of pull this out, pull it out, my view of this song to develop um, because you do have to work with the lyrics because I think they are a little bit more abstract. 
But uh, that's the kind of the message that I get. And again, one of the reasons I picked this song is because I think that it it's a nice match to uh, Subdivisions, which is talking about, again, something similar about how you engage with um, the society around us. Man, when you get all English lit major, man, it's a real turn on. Well, you know, I did consult, um, uh, I, you know, for this podcast, I did consult uh, two bits of literary criticism about Rush. So one is a book that I have called Rush, Rock Music and the Middle Class, Dreaming in Middletown, which interestingly only has two references to Middletown Dreams. Do you and know then, the author of that book? Yeah, Chris McDonald. <laughs> the, the, act, the actor <laughs> the guy who was just in the guy who was just in the the happy gilmore guy <laughs> yeah chris, uh, has, uh, chris has just proven his creds by the way knowing one of those bits of of rush criticary criticary cri critical uh literary criticism um <laughs> And the other is this really ex just extended um, essay called Rush, Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Excellence, which is an aspect of the, of the lyrics that we haven't touched on and really in either of the two podcasts, which we should yeah. get to in a third, actually, I think. I think, it, uh, ironically, as much as I think these um, lyrics are... Uh, I, I, it's my second favorite song that we're talking about today. Mm. Um, uh, lyrically and kind of as a whole combining the lyrics with the music. I do enjoy it. I yeah. like it. Yeah. Um, and I did not like it the first time I listened to it. It took, um, and I find this kind of with the rush I've explored, except for the big stuff, the, the real, the, 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 the titles everyone knows, but I find that, re-listening a few times um i go from shrugging my shoulders or say oh, yeah it's good it's good to you know coming around to i really like kind of like this if i don't necessarily like the lyrics a lot i like the music um and i've always found myself um enjoying the music so it's actually my my second favorite song but since we're coming up on an hour, do you want to move on to Middletown Dreams? Middletown yeah. Dreams. This is another you pick. This is another very upbeat, positive outlook song. Um, and what was this one? This was Power Windows, mm -hmm. and which was released on October 11th, 1985. Again, USA, guess where that album landed? Uh, it topped out at number 10, just like yeah. the other two. Yeah. And Canada was number two, and I didn't see the UK numbers. This reminded me of some, some musical version of Death of a Salesman. So, yeah. Yeah, well, there you go. Why'd you pick it? <clears throat> yeah, that, I mean, that, that's uh, again, it, it, same sort of a theme, right? How we engage with the world. This one a little bit more focused on um, uh, location, right? And a basic notion of frustration um, uh, with the world. Um, first uh, concert, Rush concert I saw was the Power, uh, Power Windows tour, April. Oh, Fools. wow. Okay. Yep. And in New wow. York, Madison Square Garden. <laughs> yep. That was. Uh, it was a lot of fun. 
And uh, again, I think it's 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 representative of Neil Peart reflecting on uh, the human condition in a particular circumstance, in a particular setting, in a way that is both, um, uh, you know, portrays it as being somewhat, you know, disappointing, right? Oh, here are these people who have, are living these lives that they're frustrated with. They have these dreams. You don't ever really know whether they go out and they execute on them and actually try to to go for them. Um, but at the end of the song, there's this notion of, you know what, that's okay, because dreams are what really drives you, right? I hate to interrupt. I think, good things I, think, I think we lost Chris. Oh, my goodness. We did lose Chris. I think you're right. So let me, I'm going to cut out and then we'll reconnect, okay? Sounds good. Hello. Hello. It's you again, not Chris, though. Hmm. Hopefully he'll hop on. Should we continue or should we wait and metaphorically twiddle our thumbs? Why don't you continue with um, Middletown your, Dreams? Your breakdown of Middletown Dreams and we'll try yeah. to get him back on. Sure. So, yeah. So, as I was saying, it does end on a little bit more of a positive note um, in that uh, a, a couple of things. Um, oh, I think. Chris, have you joined us again? I have. Thank you. Sorry about that. I don't know what happened. You don't worry about it. Um, Dale was just going on about how Hitler actually did some good things. So you didn't. <laughs> you didn't miss much. That's a lie. <laughs> there are so many lies in there, and I <laughs> and I terribly, I... terribly misinterpreted Middletown Dreams. Apparently, I work. <laughs> I work in lies the way others work in oils. You're talking about masseuses? <laughs> All right. Marbles. Come on. Clay, marble. You're a dirty, dirty. You're a dirty boy. Uh, I'm bad. Bad boy. Yes. Anyway, so as I was saying, even though there's this um, potentially kind of depressing element of the song about not realizing your dreams there's also a positive part of it which i think is twofold one is that um almost the last line that life's not unpleasant in their little neighborhood right so that it isn't so bad but there's also driving through it this notion about how these dreams regardless of whether you execute on them really drive you along right those are the things that can that can really drive you and this is a theme that uh peart um I, I think has throughout a lot of songs in this notion of what drives you and holding on to what drives you and making sure that you protect it and nourish it um, along the way. That's a, that's a central idea. I think that permeates a lot of his songs. So I thought this was a nice song in that um, it has that combination of kind of that notion, not, maybe not so much of conformity, but you know, frustration around the way the world happens to be. But also that positive, that positive message uh, along with it, that that's okay. It doesn't have to be um, incredible and exciting in the way that your dreams are, because your dreams are what help move you. And you have to enjoy what you have. I, that's interesting. I interpret, I mean, it's funny you raised that issue. I interpreted that last, uh, 
that last stanza stanza the right word sure verse okay. last verse um the opposite way when just and now so i'm assuming Peart wrote this yes the lyrics yes and i really respect him um as a lyricist and and i don't necessarily think anything's like nothing's a coincidence or 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 not but it's understood by every single person who'd be elsewhere if they could so far so good and life's not unpleasant it's that and life's not unpleasant he doesn't say life is pleasant it's almost like uh, life is okay. It's not unpleasant. Usually, usually, if you're gonna put it, if you're gonna write in positive terms, you wouldn't write in the negative. As in, I'm not saying it's great or pleasant, but it's not unpleasant. Almost like you're numb to it. That was my interpretation. Um, so I, I was very interested in yours, Dale. That you saw that as potentially a positive. When I saw it as kind of like, um, uh, either you know, kind of even or even a negative. So I was just wanted to point that out because that was one of the one of the um, verses that that kind of stood in my mind. And yeah. I'll just I'll just go because I've been kind of quiet on the songs, but I really liked, and I think um, I I don't think Neil Peart is necessarily uh, for traditional uh, values of marriage. I like the. The middle-aged Madonna calls her neighbor on the phone day by day. The seasons pass and leave her life alone, but she'll go walking out that door on some bright afternoon to go paint big cities <clears throat> from a lonely attic. I am, I'm interpreting that as some middle-aged um, housewife, maybe packing her bags to go follow her dreams, which I think is a very um, inspiring. I, I, I like that stanza. I think that, especially the year it came from, I would expect to see that, you know, currently say in the past 10 years of someone who possibly has sacrificed their life to have kids to let their husband uh, build their careers, finally following their pursuit. I I like that stanza. I'll just make one comment on, on what you said about the, the last stanza. I don't know how different our interpretation is because I'm not there's there's a there's a sense that there's I I don't want to say that Peart is celebrating anything in this song as much as it is commentary that makes sense yes yeah yes I I just viewed it as I interpreted as life is adequate and to me, that's not that's not good. But okay, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, what's but it's real. But it's yes. real. Yes, it is. You know, because I mean, my that last verse. I mean, it's my not- take on that last verse is like, yeah. I mean, the the and and what are we talking about? Your your average reasonable person here that 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 he's you know the the every man right or the every woman who's just kind of you know, going through the day by day slog. And it's like, yeah, you know what? I wish I was, I wish I had a different job or I wish I lived in a different place and had these, you know, this, you know, you just entertain these fantasies of, of, of doing, you know, cool things and going cool places. And yeah, everybody at some point wishes they'd be elsewhere if they could. 
But at the end of the day, the average reasonable person, you know, who I, I include myself in that group, you know, you take a step back and you're like, you know what, man, I got it pretty good. And, and this is not unpleasant. It's not like perfect. And every day I wake up smiling and hit the ground running, but I mean, it's, it's good. And it's, and it's more than adequate and it's not unpleasant. And I like things in my little neighborhood. And that's, that's my interpretation. And that's how I take it. And I take that as, as a positive. And maybe it's like a little starkly real, but um, I take it as a positive. Jack Germond, any comments? I think that I, I the, one of the great things about um, Neil Peart as a lyricist, particularly with songs like this, where they're, it is a little bit abstract, kid gloves as well, is that you can really have a lot you can read into it and a lot of different kind of perspectives, which are all, um, I think, valid and all saying roughly the same the the same thing and i think i i think what chris is saying is is spot i think what chris is saying is spot on i think that there's a there's a sense to which um so and we're not this is not a song that i think is emblematic of that kind of that that you know pursuit of excellence type Russian and the you know the fierce individualism that that does permeate some of the songs but it does pick it up a bit and I think what one of the reasons I really like this song is that it 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 does have that sense of just as Chris was saying you know what this is okay this is not terrible and look to your dreams right whether you execute or not those are the things that that will keep you going right and if you do execute on them fantastic yeah, but, I yeah. think what I think what. Chris but if you is, don't, is, there's still fuel. Exactly. There's still fuel to help you to help you go, and we all exactly. we all have those. And yeah, the three, for lack of a better term, the three characters in this play are are driven by that. You know, the 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 the, the salesman, the starry eyed kid that wants to be a musician, and the middle aged Madonna. It's like you know, maybe this guy. Maybe this guy will break out of the trap that he's in and, and you know, the, his, his salesman gig, and maybe he will literally walk down the tracks someday and, 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 and start anew. And, and maybe he won't. And, and, but at the end of the day, if that's, if that's fueling him to get, to get you know, just to, just, just to, to, to keep going and live in life, then, then, then that's cool. Yeah, I don't know what he's going to do on those tracks, though. I have a feeling he might he might stand there as the train comes along because it's <laughs> more oh. than a man can endure. No, I think you're right, Chris. I, th- I think it's a very truthful, truthful song. I think I'm just reading it a little more depressing than you guys are. Yeah. <laughs> that's all that thing. You know what? You know, that, that, you know, those things happen. I think but, what adds, what, what kind of maybe, causes people to drift that way that that helps that along is like and and i'm not a a a a, a musically educated person so i don't know if i'm getting my 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 terms right here but kind of like the 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 melancholy minor keyboard chords throughout dale yes yes so it's like yeah that's that's i mean it's not it's not a happy upbeat musical song 
like like the, the, the it's kind of right. like a it, so that kind of lends itself to where it brings your thoughts and feelings and i don't know if i'm quite articulating my point could, correctly no i think great point I, great point. i think that's a yeah i think that's a really great point because you articulated kind of what was in the back of my head as i and as i think the but it is somewhat ambiguous though i'm sorry just let me that it is not fully minor right i mean it's number one it's upbeat and it is somewhat ambiguous in that it's not it's not certainly not joyous but it's also right. certainly not completely you know down and negative and, and <laughs> yeah and, right yeah Takata and fugue ish right does it end in an f flat <laughs> yeah it's, yeah it's right it it's yeah it, it, and so i think that amb- and uh, that ambiguity again matches the lyrics beautifully i yeah. i thought the i thought the integrate so i thought the integration of the lyrics with the music was a bit clunky at times <clears throat> almost forced uh or, or or hurried it didn't quite blend for me as uh most of their kind of other songs like it felt like a line went to a word or two too long but i thought when i got past that and then re-listened to it i really like the music in this song yeah me too i I really like the integration of everything and you get to hear light and i've really grown to over the past couple weeks um uh, I know Getty Lee's kind of everyone knows him. Neil Peart, everyone knew him. Really growing very fond of Alex Lifeson and his He's brilliant his abilities. He's brilliant. And just a quick sidebar on him and 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 I, I Dale, I just like your 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 thoughts on, on this. His in this song in particular, his few little riffs that he does between uh, you know, um what do you call it? Uh, stanzas and chorus, the the uh verses and chorus is really i'm a big fan of his little riffs in this song i'm a huge fan of of him as as a guitarist i agree with you from your prior point dale i think he's very underrated and i think had he been in another band and done the same thing he just would have been such a standout it just even a more standout guitarist than he is and maybe gotten the recognition i feel he deserves but can you imagine being in a band with those other two guys yeah right yeah <laughs> well this is this is the equipment my, my son my son you like this my son asked me the other like yesterday the day before was george brett a huge star in the in the like mid to late 70s <clears throat> and i said well no we didn't have we didn't have self we didn't have smartphones right we didn't have the internet and unless you were true, but and he was stuck in Kansas City. Nothing, yeah. not, no judgment, but he wasn't a New York or LA player or, or Boston. So I was like, yeah, it's kind of feel like Lifeson might be the George Brett of guitar players kind of in this trio where they're trying to balance everything. And you said last time, everything he does on the guitar is in service to the song. Yeah. Uh, which demonstrates that, you know, there's not a lot of, uh, at least, if he has an ego, he can control it for the for the art. Absolutely, but I, I missed him in um, in subdivisions when the criticism of subdivisions was on the role of the 
which we'll get to because I did some research of the synthesizer. Like, would have liked to see a little more of that guitar going on. Yeah, there's a th- so so to Chris's point, um, I I think he is the most underrated uh, guitar player, and I think he's one of the most versatile guitar players. I mean, if you listen to kind of where they started, where they ended up, and everything that happened in between. He goes from being, you know, heavy, heavy, you know, Jimmy Page like, you know, blues guy to almost Robert Fripp like, you know, prog rock kind of a guy. Robert Fripp's probably an exaggeration, but still he's got, you know, you listen to those those late 70s albums and the stuff that he's doing there is just incredible. Um through this transition in and i think some of his some of his really most interesting and i think the most well-blended albums are permanent waves and and moving pictures that way where they kind of are changing their style and you can see him doing the same thing through albums like uh power windows and, and hold your fire where he's doing so much that is just atmospherics sure that are just beautiful and the stuff that he does makes the songs right i mean it, i think you hold your fire is an easy album to to see that in when you listen to the songs you kind of hear what he's doing it's just remarkable and all the way now you know through the end and 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 what he's doing in the last three albums where he's you know back to this almost you know kind of prog contemporary prog metal type stuff sure. the guy's just amazing he's just he does it all and he is one of the most creative and interesting soloists that I've ever heard play the guitar. Just yeah. unbe- I, unbelievable. Yeah. His I'm solos. just more and, and more impressed, um, particularly with Lifeson. Yeah, uh, just a, a remarkable musician. Which I'm uh, sure he'll find very gratifying if, when he hears that. When oh he yeah, well, to you this know, podcast. I haven't told him that personally, you know. So he'll he'll be not he'll 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 think very very. So, does anyone else have anything else to talk about in terms of Middletown? Middle uh, first thing I did, uh, Middletown Dreams was look up. Is there a Middletown spelled that way in Canada? Because I really couldn't imagine being a oh, kid in the '80s if I lived that, <laughs> listened to that song, and if I lived in Middletown, um, I couldn't find one. There's a Middletown, New York, though. There's a Middletown, so, New Jersey, too. Yeah, I'm sure there's a yeah. Middletown in every state. But I'm like, can you imagine being a Canadian kid and hearing that song, <laughs> living in Middletown? There's a Middleton, which is probably a derivative of Middletown in Nova Scotia, but I couldn't find a Middletown. But I would have been so depressed as like a 14 year old. Yeah, he's he's talking about where I live, and I don't know if I can get not out in a good way. I'm not getting on that bus with the guitar kid. My dad is actually the alcoholic salesman, and my mom took off. <laughs> she's but Neil's telling me my dreams can kill me. <laughs> but so I'm it's gonna, gonna go be with, okay. I'm gonna go with Neil, and uh, I got this really great job at Radio Shack. It is one of the reasons he chose the title, uh, because th- there well, are so many. There are so many middle towns. As well, I understand also, it. Well, I was also thinking middle, mediocre, average, as well. Mm, sure, sure. Mm-hmm. That um, works. So I was looking at it was really tough finding contemporaneous 
it was so tough, actually, uh, surprisingly tough to find contemporaneous. Uh, and I'm sorry, do, do you guys want to talk more about uh, Middletown Dreams? Go ahead. Feel free. Well, you, you don't want to really ask us that question, do you? Mm, um, yeah. <laughs> Maybe yeah. you can do that on your solo I don't, project with Chris. I, I, I don't know how much time you have, but uh, I, yeah. th- this, could, this could go on for days. Get the tissues out. Well, we'll do a third. How's because that? Because it, it, it yes, invariably yes. will turn into something else and some other segue and some other off-ramp. And we'll be, yeah. So th- this could this could go haywire. So yeah, we'll, we'll, just, we'll do we'll, we'll do a third. we'll just be disciplined. Yes, and we'll do a third, and and Chris will Chris maybe will pick the do, song because I picked songs for two of these. So well, Chris cool. should talk. The, should maybe you could do, maybe you could pick two songs, and then you could do maybe an overall, if you want to, if you want to hit on this album or this particular song instead of limiting it to three songs, yeah. maybe you can pick two. And then almost like a, an open, an open form. Okay, I, whatever you want. I know what to what I would choose, Chris. Maybe you and I can confer. But I, I and Anthony, I know you wanted to do limelight. So I love limelight. Do, you can do limelight. Yeah. Oh, maybe it's God. trite. Maybe it's trite, but I love limelight. No, the, no everyone no, loves no. limelight. As the well they but should. If you don't love limelight, you're wrong. Right. That's absolutely right. So I was. I was <laughs> I was fascinated by this whole. Um, I'm looking for these. Um, I'm looking for critical reviews contemporaneous with the various albums. Mm. And if you just if you just type in Rush, you know, uh, criticism reviews and stuff, you get a whole host of like YouTube videos of these big heavy set guys in their parents' basement talking about. You know, it's 2018, and they're talking about Rush songs from like 30 years ago. So, but I did find. Um, uh, Rolling Stone is easy to find. Some of it's behind a paywall. But with regard to um, uh, Power Windows, I mean, the opening, while critics routinely dismiss Rush as pretentious operatic heavy metal bozos, uh, this Canadian trio was actually busy becoming the police of power rock um, on the recent studio LP leading up to 1984's appropriately titled Grace Under Pressure. They tighten up their sidelong suites and rhythmic abstractions to ballad up songs fit song fist art pop blast of angular slashing guitar, etc. 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 So um a po- a relatively positive um I, I, this is an interesting line too. None and again this is this is power windows. None of this is likely to impress the new wave in crowd, which is their loss because power windows may well be the missing link between yes. And the sex pistols. Wow. Any comments? <laughs> what? And they also, I think they mentioned Susie and the Banshees too. So uh, that's Rolling Stone review from January 30th, 1986. Yeah, that's uh, that's a little that's a bridge too far for me, man. But whatever. That's interesting. I don't know if it's a bridge too far for me. I mean, there's a degree to which I, I know. So one of the things, Anthony, I think I may have mentioned to you. I know Chris knows this. As a group, they have always been open to new things, and they and as Neil Peart has said on many times, particularly in the '80s. He said, you know, they liked listening to new music and they were young enough to really absorb it and and listen to it and to incorporate 
the things that they enjoyed into their own sound. Big fans of the police. Yeah, huge fans yeah, of the police. Apparently. Heads and, 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 a lot, and a lot of groups. Ultravox. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and so that <clears throat> notion that somehow you could hear in them some links to other groups that are out there and other styles makes perfect sense to me. Now, whether I would say it, it, it's a link to the Sex Pistols, I think that maybe as I'm thinking about it, Chris, I might agree with you that it, it might be a little bit too far. But I don't think that you can deny that certainly lyrically, there is a sense of that individualism and um, certainly earlier on, you know, a, a, an almost confrontational individualism that um, that's in their music and, and certainly on Power Windows with songs like Manhattan Project and, and sure. um, uh, Territories. Y- you can see them as being, as a, as a friend of mine said when we were growing up, as, as kind of a protest band in a lot of ways. And so there's a way I think lyrically you could you could kind of make those sorts of connections. Yeah. So, so um, as far as the other, uh, you know, the, the, the bridge too far aspect of it, as far as um, them being influenced by other bands of the, of the era, for sure, you know, police, big reggae influence. And you could certainly hear and, and on signals for me, uh, a, a lot of reggae esque stuff going on so yeah them being influenced by other contemporary bands i I just um you know sex pistols i would not 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 a fan of their music don't like dislike it but it's you know pretty extreme hardcore like punk rock yes and i just don't get any of that vibe it's not it's not the any of their punk music that would um jump to mind (sighs) for me but Uh, no that's like i just don't like yeah, that, that's a that's a pretty like long arc of, of what he's what he's talking about. I just don't get the leap, but but whatever. I guess it's just refreshing to have a critic not absolutely destroy them. So well, so it's, it's, well <laughs> speaking of which that, is, speaking of that, oh. the, uh, not a destroy, but signals. Um, I this was behind a paywall, and I'm not freaking paying for Rolling Stone magazine. Uh, by and large, the songs on Signals are tuneful and unencumbered, but a sort of gratuitous flash that made previous albums seem like clearinghouses for worn-out rock licks. <clears throat> Even so, it's mostly a wasted effort, and nearly all of Russia's Signals come across as static. Now, the big... I will add that, that when I did... What? When I was able to read the full review, they were very down on... Uh, the emphasis on synthesizer to uh, and uh, as compared to Lifeson's guitar, which I think is a, a fair observation. Um, but they pretty much um, uh, kind of say it's uh, eh, it's a shrug. Signals is a shrug for the Rolling Stone reviewers. Wow. My God. Yeah, I, I I don't even know where to go with with that. I, I mean, just uh, wholeheartedly yeah, with- disagree. I think that album is just brilliant, and you know what? I mean, it, it it's it's he's a he's a critic. It's not the critic who counts. Um, I also it's interesting. Yeah, Neil Neil 
Peart tells a story. Um, I can't remember who the author was, but he was a fan of this author, and, and a book review came out of his latest novel that kind of ripped the book apart. Evidently, Neil Peart took offense to this, so he wrote to the author and he said, "Look, <laughs> you know, really sorry that you got this terrible review, and and you know, trust me, you've got lots of people out there who love love what you do." And the author was kind enough to write back and said, "If I, um, you know, thank you for your letter, of course, all that you know, all that wonderful stuff." He said, "But, but look." Um, if I paid attention to the only the good reviews, I'd have to pay attention to the bad reviews too. So I just don't pay attention to the reviews. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's actually that's a, a fairly thing. smart in, in, in today's world, stay off social media too. I also yeah. have a review for signals from, I um, actually have the newspaper online. Um, somebody had downloaded it September 11th, 1982, Sounds Magazine, which is apparently some yeah. another music. I, I've never. If I heard of it, I don't remember. Um, they're talking about. Um, remember Farewell to King, circa 77, when Rush gave us classics like Xanadu, which Getty Lee made sparkle with his use of the mini Moog and the bass pedal, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, uh, um, uh, sub, <laughs> then he goes on. Um, where is it? Subdivision, the song responsible for the mysterious album cover, I presume, opens the account with a throbbing buzz of keyboards urged along by Neil Peart's snappy beat to no avail, for it is plagued with such a dull tone that even Getty Lee's usually soaring and piercing vocals sound sadly subdued. He also calls... Um, uh, he, he also How says, do you get there? How do you listen to that and get come say, away with that? Wait, I'm not done. Oh no! <laughs> but there's more. Signals, signals, but is, wait. signals is submerged in a soggy swamp of synthesizers, moves, and the rest saturated Ooh. every song with a needless wall of sound, which unmercifully <gasps> strangles Alex Lifeson's guitar and muffles no. the usual razor sharp no. edge. No. No, you wrote this. You wrote this because we wanted to do this. Ta-da! We the name of the review is semi semi flawed signals. Uh, wow. Yeah, we talked about no no surprise. And and there's there's yeah, uh no yeah, I mean Rush, I mean that, that that's one of the that, that that's that's that, that that's a commonly known fact about Rush among Rush fans. They've have always They've never been a fan. The critics have never been a fan of Rush. Music critics have, and it was always like almost a sport to to do it. In my opinion, yeah. <laughs> they yeah. they've always been panned. They've never been a favorite of critics, but yet their their fans have have just always always uh you know varying degrees, but pretty much have have stuck with them and loved their stuff. You know, but for some yeah, people, it'd be a critics badge, never have a badge of honor. I also have. A Rolling Stone article from July 10th of 2008. It's entitled, Why People Think We Hate Rush When We Actually Don't Hate Rush. (laughs) (laughs) Descriptions of Getty Lee singing in Rolling Stone have ranged from negative to borderline mean. Shrill, squeals, screech, keening shrieks, stratospheric wails, unnecessary strident, Robert Plant-like shriek, dog-calling falsetto shriek, triumphant cry, or grating y'all. Sends his voice to the rafters through his nose. Congested vocals float through the songs like swamp gas. Those are some of their yeah. descriptions. But then they go on to say why we don't hate Rush. 
And they talk about immaculately played techno metal, the police of power rock, missing link between yes and sex pistols, um, a maturity that even their detractors may have to admire among the very best in its genre, masters of every power trio convention. So the police of power rock. Wow. Even Rolling Stone addressed what you just mentioned, Chris, that kind of push and pull with the with the critics and the fans and, and things like that, which is very interesting. All yeah. right. Yeah. Critics are, it's always, uh, it, 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 the critics have, have, there were some critics of course, who, who have appreciated and you've noted, you know, noted some of those, those comments. And um, I, I found that part of the reason that the critics have had a hard time with rush is because they they have a they they listen they they go in with either expectations based on past experience or expectations based on ca- their own categorizations of music and kind of say okay does it fit into this and mm. part of the problem in doing mm. that with a band like rush is that uh they don't really truly have a genre Absolutely agree with that 100%. Yeah. And so if you go in saying, oh, I'm going to be listening to, uh, you know, a metal band and then you listen to signals, <laughs> right? Or if you, yeah. right, it, you, it's kind of, you're just like, whoa, wait a minute, what the hell's going on? And it's, right. again, one of the reasons that I think a lot of fans really, who, who really appreciate music and appreciate what they do, don't have that problem. They may not like everything. But they have the, the appreciation for what the band did in trying to do new things and never sitting back and simply doing the same thing again. I find that that is often the problem with thoughtful artists to begin with is um, in particular with with music. And I think I talked to Chris about this or maybe you, Dale, I forget which is that you put out an album. People like it. Some people don't. It gets, you know, good reviews. The next one. All right, too much like that first album, or or too different, right? From the first album, and that yeah. So these guys just strike me as um, musicians first, and musicians explore what's out there, and they listen to new stuff, and they adapt, and yeah. um, you you it's it's you can't sometimes you can't win. It's like the old um, I forget which great movie producer said it about. Give me, give me the same but different, and yeah, you're just, yeah, right. You're just, you're just not gonna, you're just not gonna please anyone. I do have um to put things. I thought this was fun, and if you guys want to talk some more, go ahead. I think but, it's very brave what they do and and how they've gone about making music, and I think them in particular and just artists in general. I am not an artist. I am not what I would consider as a creative person. I don't have any talent in that area at all, and I never did. But I've always I've always viewed artists and people who create and and put it out there for the world to see and for the world to judge as 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 very brave people because that's that's a that's you are really like I created this and I think this is good and I'm going to put it out there for people to see and people to judge and when people shit on it you know that's god that's gotta that's gotta suck and and then for them to do it because they're compelled to create it 
they continue to do it and can, and I don't know if they, you know, if, if they would continue to put it out there to be judged and critiqued, but, but still some people do, and these folks do, and a lot of artists do. And I just, uh, I, I just think that's, it's, that's very brave. It's a brave thing. And it's not storming the beaches of Normandy. No, brave, it's not. It's a different kind a, of bravery and there's different a, kinds. And this is one kind. It's, and, a brave, it's still brave. To, it's still brave to do. It's brave to, you know, pour your heart and soul into a creative <clears> work and, then put it out into the public it is uh, and can yeah. you imagine like you know being a creative person and you know these like neil you know whoever they created this thing and they put it out there and that they to a certain extent like they i this this came from me i created me this is my creation and i'm gonna put it out there and just to have yeah this sucks i'm gonna tell you why <laughs> nope i mean it's human nature nobody nobody wants to hear yeah, I mean, it's human nature. Nobody wants to hear bad things said about. I mean, it's the risky run when you do something like that, but still, nobody doesn't make nobody wants to hear bad things said about them or their creations. I guess, and you can make the argument. Then you know, don't put it out there. But still, so I was my, interested. My point is my point. Yeah, no, I I, I agree completely. It is a <clears throat> artistically brave thing because then you wait and wait, and you almost hope for negative as opposed to nothing. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, at least you get feedback. But I was interested in so Signals came out in '82. I have a list of just I jotted down some of the other albums that came out in '82, and I was thinking back like, wow. I mean, something for everybody. Nebraska came out. Oh, wonderful! Wow, album. really? Mar- wonderful album. Fleetwood Mac's Mirage, um, Asia's debut album. To Rye, Dexy's Midnight Runners. Um, Rio, Duran Duran. Thriller came out. Uh, what is it? Scream of Vengeance from Judas Priest. Vacation from the Go-Go's. Nylon Curtain from Billy Joel. Combat Rock from The Clash. I mean, something for everybody, right? Wow. Wow. Nice that's, 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 that's quite a list. Now going to Grace Under Pressure from 84. Uh, U2's Unforgettable Fire came out. Learning to... I, you know, Dale, I forgot to mention this band, and it is one of my favorites, and this is one of my favorite um, CDs. The Pretenders Learning to Crawl came out in 84. <laughs> I love The Pretenders. Yeah, great stuff. Uh, Purple Rain came out wow. in 84. <laughs> Private Dancer, which I think, was that Tina Turner's kind of like reemergence? Um, uh, it could have been. Could have been. Yeah, yeah. I, that, that, that sounds right. That sounds right. Uh, rest in peace, uh, Tina. Yes. All over For the sure. place by the Bangles and Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen. I mean, again, wow. am I just nostalgic or did it seem like such a great range of stuff you can choose from? from back then? No, you're bang on. You're bang <laughs> on for that. Yeah. And finally, 85, we have Brothers in Arms, Dire Straits, No Jacket Required, Phil Collins. Scarecrow from John Mellencamp, Centerfold, John Fogarty, Riptide, Robert, Robert Palmer. That to me was like a lesser year. Um, but again, I kind of, I kind of just there's picked, some, picked there's a choose. lot of eighty staples there though. Yeah, in that, in yeah. that group. Wow, yeah. in, in everything you mentioned, that group. Eighty two is really freaking good. You go, ah, get Nebraska, maybe Fleetwood Max, new album, Asia, maybe I'll get Thriller. Uh, maybe the new Judas Priest, uh, yeah. Billy Joel, or The Clash. Funny, quick sidebar about ne- just Nebraska. I am not what I would consider 
uh, a Bruce Springsteen fan at all. But yeah, that album, that album, I great. to this day listen to uh, routinely and and can listen. One of the few albums I have that I can listen to beginning to end. It's Love classic. every track on that album. And, it's a, it's a uh, classic. Yeah. There's some dark shit there too. It but, is. Um, it yeah, is great, love it. Great. Absolutely yeah, love yeah. it. In Asia, I uh, yeah, we could do a do a whole show on 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 that. And <laughs> I think the Pretenders is an underrated band from that era. Uh, Chrissy Hine was great. I know they had some issues with um, I think there was an OD and then another death. But yeah, great. Do you think they're underrated? I think the Pretenders are underrated? I don't hear much. I don't hear much talk about them anymore. When oh people... wow. Do you? I, I, I just. Um, I, I think they got the credit they deserved. I, I think, I, I thought they were extremely popular, you know, in, 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 in that day, time. And, were, yeah. In the day. Yeah. I'm talking about like in retrospect, when people talk about, um, you know, uh, things like Prince and other bands from the eighties, I think the, I feel like that I could be wrong. I feel like the pretenders maybe take a back seat and I think they, they, <laughs> Should take a front seat. I, I, oh. I mean, it's just a good. I think they're great. Roll. I think they are in the front seat, and and I yeah, would not just, describe them as as being underrated. Just but, a good rock. I mean, a good sure. solid rock and roll sure. band. Yeah, so many man. great songs, and no she doubt. was she was awesome. Uh, an oh. awesome front person. <laughs> yes, indeed. And yes, indeed, uh, Christy Hine, man. It's one of my favorite favorite bands from that era. I think they're fantastic. Yeah. I think the issue yep. comes from if you if you if, if I I agree with what you're saying, but I think if you're talking about comparing them to, you know, Prince, for example, it's going to be tough for me to kind of say, oh yeah, we should be talking about them in the same. In the same in the same light, apples and oranges, though, right? Apples and oranges, you know, but also just maybe some pomegranates I, thrown in. Yeah, I think, yeah, maybe. I mean, I, yeah, maybe, maybe. And to circle back around, you're talking about underrated guitarists. You need to put Prince on that on that list as well because yeah. that dude can shred. Yeah. I think he gets lost in the production value sometimes. Yeah, which is, which is ironic. Yeah, and it's just great, but but. That cat can play <laughs> or could play. Yeah. yeah. Another door. Sure. Isn't it? Yeah. No, oh, yeah. Yeah. Way too yeah, young. Yeah. Way too young. All right, yeah. gentlemen. Um, anything else anybody wants to add before we um I think we're going on an hour and forty minutes, guys. Yeah. Well, what do you think? Uh, you guys gonna regroup and plan a third? <laughs> well, we are. You've you've offered it up and you think I'm not taking up that mantle, you're nuts. Yeah, um, for sure. So for sure. yeah, well, me, me so as well. I'll, I gotta I'll, put some I'll set you I got to put up some thought into that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that was a lot of fun. Thank you for including yeah. me. I appreciate uh, it very much. Great having oh, you back fantastic. as always. And I hope Thank you. On, I hope you are on more. And yeah, you guys choose, Matt. You you are much more the uh, although I have to say, in actually concentrating on the last six songs we've talked about, um you know, obviously like I always knew through friends who who knew what they were talking about neil peart probably i don't know what do you think top three rock drummers generally top he's five, generally definitely. he's generally he's on top yeah. three easily Considered top a, five yeah and on yeah. top of that top of that a very original and interesting lyricist yep but for man, sure i really dig in life son 
uh, man, uh, just kind of flying under the radar for a lot of people when they talk about guitarists. So, so it's not going to be a real lot of fun. It's not going to be on the on on at least for me. But Anthony, do yourself a favor and go and listen to La Vila Strangiato. Oh man, yeah, do that, <laughs> do that sooner rather than later. Yeah, yeah, that's a litmus test for a guitarist right there. Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll do that right now. Sure. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> I will check it out, though. No, I really, it's funny. I always, I never disliked Rush. I just wasn't a huge fan. But the more I like, like, this guy's, you know, this guy's really freaking interesting. I want to I wanna hear, I want to hear, uh, I want I want to hear more things where the guitar is highlighted, I guess is what I'm saying. Well, listen to La Vila Strangiato and then. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of highlighted there. Yeah. 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 He, All right. He's, he's, he's brilliant. Brilliant, right. brilliant, and as was my time here. So thank you again for including oh, me. No. I really so appreciate you, it. You guys are gonna sort out. We'll see you next what time. What we're doing Chris. next? Yeah, yeah. I have some ideas. Yeah, well, you guys figure it out. Have some we'll ideas. We will figure it out. And we could structure it so we could do two songs, and then you guys could self-flagellate um, all you want on kind of various topics. Yeah, uh, the two that come to mind uh, right now, just just a hot take, um, is uh, limelight and the garden. Done. That's and exactly for... what I was thinking. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. is it, is, well, uh, okay. All right. Well, All right I'm gonna go. Anyway. What, what about um, the Mark Harmon movies? I want to do. <laughs> yeah. So so have fun with that. Can we do, and um, can let we us do... know if we can help you in any way. Can we can and... we do Delivered Stranger? <laughs> um, uh, mercifully, I don't know what that is. <laughs> That's Mark Harmon playing Ted Bundy on a made-for-TV movie. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, I'd rather yeah. talk about the garden. Yeah. <laughs> uh, of course you would. But no, anyway. no, no appreciation for fine art. All right, gentlemen, this Clearly. was fun. Thank awesome. you for being on, Chris. It was great. Yeah, thank you, Chris. No, thank you for having me. That was a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. And uh, great talking to you guys again. See All you right. next time on the Rush Podcast. Later. You bet. Thanks, Take care. Sir. Bye.